If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today for our Week 10 Mailbag is my coach, Charlie. And guys, we all know, we are all well aware how big this week is and the impact it's going to have on our ability to achieve all the goals that all of us, like we all had our sights set on before the season began we're going to have you cover with our full Florida game preview later this week. We'll dig into all the details. But first, we did want to take some time to answer the specific questions that you guys have about this game and much more today on our Week 10 Mailbag episode. And look, we've got a lot to get to today, so I'm going to go ahead and turn this bad boy over to Charlie. Charlie, what do you got for me today? All right, we have a lot of questions about the Florida game, so we're going to start there. Brian asks, give me one reason why this clearly overrated Georgia team has any chance to beat Florida. Well, Brian is angry. Uh, and I, I get it, Brian. It's a good, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Uh, we've had our fair share of issues over the past couple of weeks. I will still maintain that the Kentucky game was more about the weather than anything, uh, although there were still some issues there as well. That's certainly the case. But I, I, and I promise, Brian, I, I, with all due respect, man, I'm not trying to be short with you here at all. Give you one reason why this clearly overrated Georgia team has any chance to beat Florida? Can I very simply and humbly, with all due respect, just say because we're better? We're better. We're the better football team. I know that's not the national narrative right now uh, based off what happened against South Carolina and the fact that we have a loss to a South Carolina team that's not probably not going to go bowling. They have five losses right now. They start to play at AM, and start to play Clemson. They're probably not going to go to a bowl game, and we lost them at home. That's a bad loss. Whereas Florida, while they still have one loss— it was to the number one team in America, LSU, on the road. So I get it to a degree, but if you look at it statistically, if you look at the metrics of both of these teams right now, almost every single one of them, outside of maybe sacks and tackles for loss, favors us in this game. And I got 12 here. I'm going to go with just general stats. I'm not going to be like the specific rushing offense, rushing defense. I'm going to go with just like total offense, total defense, those kind of numbers. I got 12 numbers here. I'm going to try to run through these as fast as I can. But just to illustrate to you why I, I'm just saying like we are the better team. We are still the better team. We have our issues, no doubt. But this this notion that Florida is a perfect team and has no issues of their own, that's that's just crazy. If you look at total yardage differential, take the, the number of yards we've gained and subtract from that the number of yards that we've surrendered. We are plus 1,432 yards in the year. That's up there with the best teams in the country. Florida's been solid, but not as good as us. They're plus 801 yards on the year. Points per game differential. We are plus 25.4 points in the year. So what that means is we're outscoring our opponents by an average of 25.4 points a game. Florida, again, solid, but not as good as us. They're plus 16.7 points on the year right now. Total offense. We are 21st nationally. I know that our offense is apparently, Charlie, I don't know if you've heard this. Our, our offense is the worst offense in America. 
Worse. The worst. The worst. worst. That's that's the narrative. And I'm not trying to make light of say that we don't have issues. Obviously, we do have some issues offensively. Those came out against South Carolina. But if you look at the season as a whole, we're still 21st nationally in total offense, averaging 471 yards a game. In this Florida offense that is apparently better than our offense now, well, they're 52nd nationally, averaging 419 yards a game. So we're better there. Yards per play doesn't get any better for Florida. We're 11th nationally right now. Again, the worst offense in the country, apparently, is still 11th nationally in yards per play at 6.97 yards per play. Guys, we're almost averaging 7 yards per play. That's really good, guys. That's really, really good. Florida, again, not bad, but not quite our level. They're 35th nationally in yards per play uh, with 6.26 yards per play. Scoring offense, again, same story. We're 24th nationally. We're top 25 in scoring offense still, even with that horrific day against South Carolina, averaging 36 yards a game, uh, 36 points a game. Florida, 45th nationally, 32.5 points a game. So th- here's the common theme. You're seeing this, guys. Florida's good. We're just better in basically every me- every metric. For, let's go with some advanced stats. And first offensive first down rate, we are second nationally. What that is, guys, if you're not familiar with that, that's the percentage of drives, offensive drives that result in at least one first down. We're second nationally in first down rate. So we have a very efficient offense is basically what that means. Florida, on the other hand, they're 71st nationally in offensive first down rate. Touchdown rate, now this one's a little closer. This is the percentage of drives that result in at least one first down or touchdown. We're 42nd nationally in touchdown rate, whereas Florida's 45th. So we're close there, but still, we have the edge. And let's go to defense for a second. Total defense, we are 7th nationally, giving up only 266 yards a game. Florida is 25th nationally, giving up 319 yards a game. Yards per play defense, we're top 10. We're 9th nationally, giving up 4.32 yards per play. Florida, 43rd, giving up 5.16 yards per play. Scoring defense, we are top 5. We're 5th in the country, giving up only 10.6 points per game. Florida's really good. They're 12th nationally, giving up 15.7 points a game. But still, again, same thing, not quite as good as us. Defensive first down rate, we're 20th nationally. Florida is 44th nationally. Defensive touchdown rate, we're third nationally. Florida is 35th. And sure, guys, I know that numbers can be misleading at times. Sure, you can argue that with any one of these particular numbers. But I didn't just give you one stat category. I gave you 12, all right? And all 12 of those, we have the edge over Florida. So when you're, I, what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is I, I get where you're coming from. I really do, Brian. I, I totally respect you, my man. But I think, and I, I include myself in this. After the South Carolina game, I was feeling a lot of the same things I think you're still feeling here. But we're all looking at this as prisoners of the moment. The South Carolina game and, and the Kentucky weather game following immediately after that, that, that's kind of colored our perception right now of what our offense is. But I will still maintain that South Carolina game is not, who we are. It's not who we've been all year long. It's who we were in that one game. Sure, sure, that's who we were in that one game. That was a bad look. But that hasn't been who we've been all year long. And I think a lot of us, we haven't been able to wash all the remnants of that bad taste out of our mouths from that game. Because look, we, we lose South Carolina and you follow up with a, that crappy weather game against Kentucky. We don't get, even get 300 yards to offense in that game. It was a rough showing, but I think the weather, I still would say, has a big part to do with that. And that South Carolina loss, it was shocking. It was a shock to the system that has kind of made, I think, a lot of us, including myself to a degree, I'm kind of coming out of it now as we get closer to this game. My juices are getting going again. But it's kind of made us gun-shy about our team the rest of the way. So, really, I, I get like where you're coming from after watching that South Carolina game. But if you look at it objectively by the numbers, this matchup should favor us. And I'm not saying there's not any matchups that, don't, that, that favor Florida. There are some that, that favor Florida that we should be concerned about. But... To just sit there and say that like we don't have a chance to give you one reason why we have any chance to beat Florida, I think I think we might be overreacting a little bit to that one South Carolina game. But that's just me. I could be wrong there. I don't know about the listeners, but that was a lot of um, 
Too many numbers for you? Yeah, and I'm even looking at the table you have. So perhaps you could take a picture of that table and then tweet it out because that was a lot. Wow! Of look at you being smart. I know. You I know. Talk right. really fast sometimes. I talked really fast because I knew it was a lot of numbers and I was trying to get through all of it. I hear I'm you. Sure I hear our you. listeners are smarter than me, but my listening comprehension is horrible. So I'm gonna need a visual. I'm gonna need bravo, bravo with your self awareness there. You do lose track sometimes. All right, moving on to the second question. Drill Dog asked along the same lines. Do you agree with Vegas that we should be a six-point favorite? You know, actually, most recently, the line has dropped. It's, it's been dropping pretty steadily over the past couple of weeks, and it's down to three and a half points most recently, according to mybookie.ag. Go sign up today. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's down to three and a half right now. But, look, I, I absolutely agree that we should be the favorite in this game, whether it's six points, seven points, three and a half points, five and a half points has been – any number one of those, any number of those at any given point in the past couple of weeks. But yeah, I absolutely think that we should be the favorite. I'm not going to go through all those numbers again, but you just heard me lay out all those numbers. Yes, I know I was going at the speed of light trying to get through all that. But yeah, I, I think we we still are the better team. And let's not forget, guys, we laid this out in the in the Scout the Enemy episode before the season. I know like that's before we saw anything, but we have the more talented roster. There's no doubt about it. I think the numbers we have like 21 guys who were rated as a five-star by one of the other recruiting services out there. I think 13 or 14 that were consistent five-stars. Florida has one, guys. The only one that they have was a guy, Britton Cox, who just transferred from Georgia. He's not playing in this game. So we have the town edge. The numbers favor us almost across the board, outside of, of sacks, really. So, uh, Florida is, is a more disruptive front right now. So, yeah, like there are some matchups that do concern me to a degree. We'll get into more of that when we get to the preview show later on this week. But I still think that we are the better team and we should be favored in this game. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going to win. That's not how college football works. We, we see that almost every week, whether it was us against South Carolina, Wisconsin, uh, last week, Oklahoma. And Charlie, you and I were talking about this. Like, like normally we, we, we kind of relish in these upsets, but didn't you kind of have like some, uh, some sympathy for the Oklahoma fans and what they were going through after we just kind of went through that ourselves a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I did. It was hard to watch. It was, I was kind of torn. It was like misery loves company. Right, because you know we don't want to be the only team that's been a top five team that's been upset. So it's nice to see Wisconsin go down like that, and now Oklahoma. But at the same time, like looking at some of the fans in the stands, I'm like, guys, I've been there. I get you. I know how this feels. It sucks. It sucks. So kind of a double edged sword there. But yeah, I think we should definitely be the favorite. The favorite in this game. All right. The next two questions come from Cliff. First up, should UGA focus more on shutting down Florida's passing game, perhaps with a three three five scheme? First off, thanks as always, Cliff. You're the man for sending us in all of the great questions you send our way. And to answer your question, I think you're on the right track. Is Florida like they've clearly become a passing offense over the past couple weeks? Really, since Kyle Trask has been inserted in the starting lineup, they've kind of been trending more and more in that direction. Right now, they are third in the SEC in passing offense, and they're only in 11th in rushing offense. They've thrown the ball 51 percent of the time since Kyle Trask became the starter. Honestly, I thought it would be more than that. But going back and running the numbers, and I crunched numbers a couple times, because you guys know I suck at math. I thought I might be wrong, but no, they've only thrown the ball 51% of the time since Trask became a starter, but they've still thrown the ball more than they've run it. And they've actually thrown the ball 39 times a game over their last three games. So they're increasingly uh, moving towards that trend where they're throwing the ball more and more each and every week. But uh, they, what they do, like I get where you're coming from with a 3-3-5 if they're throwing the ball that much. That's become really their identity with this Florida offense. But one of the things that they do that makes that difficult is they come at you with a lot of 12 personnel. they got two tight ends they use a lot of. Uh, Kyle Pitts is the one that actually goes out and catches passes. He's actually their leading receiver right now. I think he's got 35 catches on the year. And Lucas Kroll is another tight end they use a lot. 
but he has not caught one pass in the year. So he's not like a receiving threat. They actually tried to throw it to him one time in the LSU game, the end zone, and they couldn't complete it. But he hasn't caught one pass in the year. He has zero catches for zero yards and zero touchdowns. Zeros across the board. But they use him out there on the field a lot, so they go with 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends. And when they do that, that's heavier personnel, which typically is more of like a, a rushing attack. That's more in line with uh, what you see when teams want to run the football. So you typically have to respond with bigger personnel. And I would give Dan Mullen credit. He's a good offensive coach. I don't love Dan Mullen. In fact, I do not like Dan Mullen at all. But he's a good offensive coach. And, and what he's trying to do there is force teams into bigger personnel where you get Kyle Pitts mashed up in a linebacker, which is a total mismatch. And that's one of the reasons Pitts is having so much success right now is the way that Mullen's attacking defenses formationally. So I, I get where you're coming from with them throwing the ball a lot more and, and maybe going with that 3-3-5 three, three, scheme. But I, and they're still like, they're throwing the ball a lot, but they're running it still 34 times a game. They haven't run it very effectively, but they're still trying to run the football and at least try to hold you honest there. I think the nickel defense can be the answer. And that's that's more or less what the 3-3-5 is. Uh, there, there's different variations of that. I don't. I wouldn't go with the dime scheme as they will at least they will be able to run the football if we come out there in our dime defense as, as, like, as like our base defense against Florida. That's just not going to happen. But I would probably right now lean towards coming out with our nickel look where we have four defensive linemen or four guys on the line, two linebackers, but we take uh, one of the down linemen down and bring in the, bring in the star position, whether it's going to be Mark Webb or Devon Wilson. I think that's the way to attack them to open and kind of just see how they respond to that and then adjust accordingly from that point. And before we get to our next question, I do want to take a quick second to remind you guys about Vivid Seats. The Florida game is coming up rapidly. We've been waiting for this one for a while. It's a huge game. You guys all know how big this one is. And if you want to be in the stands cheering on the dogs, representing the red and black, go to Vivid Seats today to find your tickets. They still have a great selection available, incredible prices, and you still have time for them to get your tickets to you before the game kicks off on Saturday. All you guys got to do is go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the new Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program that allows fans to earn credits back. And every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. You can feel completely comfortable making purchases from Vivid Seats. And when it's time to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That's pretty much free money there, guys. So if you're in the market for tickets, Vivid Seats is the place to go. All right. Cliff also asks, what matchups can UGA exploit the most against Florida this weekend? And what would your approach be if you were the offensive coordinator? Oh, wow. Uh, there are a couple. I'm still kind of digging into this. I've been, I spent the bye week going down and trying to break down as much Florida tape as I can. I'm still in the process of doing that. One thing that I would really do to attack them defensively, I think if they're vulnerable right now, there's two things. I would attack them in the running game. I would attack them between the tackles because they do not have dominant interior defensive line. They have guys that are okay. They're pretty good. They're decent. They're solid, but they are certainly not dominant. In fact, I think our interior defensive line is better than what Florida has right now. They're good on the edges. And I know a lot of us want, one of the talking points over the past couple weeks is we need to attack the edges more. We did that more so against Kentucky with a lot of success, no doubt. But I would say Florida's edge players, whether it was Zaniga or Grenard, those guys are a step up from what we saw against Kentucky and some of the other teams, pretty much every other team, except maybe Notre Dame, 
what we've seen to this point. So yeah, we're going to have to attack the edges. So you can't just completely attack between the tackles exclusively. But I think we have a lot of success in this game attacking between the tackles because I don't think that their interior defense line is very good. And their linebackers, I think, are very average. I really do. I thought David Reese for a long time was pretty average. I thought Voshan Joseph was the inside linebacker to watch out for last year. And I was actually really excited when he went pro because I thought he would be a, a terror for us coming back this year. He had a really good game against us last year. We were just able to do just enough to get that win. I guess we pulled away at the end. Uh, but I, I would attack them between the tackles in the run game. And in the passing game, I would force their linebackers to play in space. I would try to scheme it up to get favorable matchups with our playmakers, our slot receivers, our tight ends, maybe even running backs on their linebackers. Now, that's I know that's asking a lot, Charlie, with our seeming unwillingness. I don't want to say inability because we can you can do it. But our unwillingness to try to actually scheme guys open and to maximize the skill sets of the players that we have and to give our offense easy throws where you get your playmakers matched up one-on-one against a guy that's not near as good an athlete as they are and so they can go out and make plays. We just don't like to do that very much. But it's really not difficult. So I'm hoping we use the bye week effectively and try to and see. And I'm sure the coaches see what I'm seeing. They're smarter than me. They're, they know more about football than I do. So you know they see. It's just a matter of will they actually try to do these things. And there's been no evidence to suggest that they will, to be honest with you. I'm just hopeful, and if I was the coordinator, that's what I would do because their linebackers are just not nearly as athletic as some of our skill players to be in space. We can match up in the slot there, and I would try to exploit that as much as possible. All right. Dalton asks, what's the latest news on Tyson Campbell? And if he comes back, do you feel confident in our secondary to keep Florida's passing game in check? Also, if we do win this weekend, how do you think it will affect us moving forward? So the word on Tyson Campbell, if you listen to Kirby Smart's press conference today, I got a chance to listen to that uh, during my lunch break today, and Tyson practiced last week. Now, he wasn't full go the entire week. Sounds like he did a lot of stuff on Wednesday, and they kind of backed him off on Thursday because they didn't want to push him too much on the bye week, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, Kirby was feeling pretty – it seemed like he was feeling pretty confident about him coming out this week. We're going to see what he was able to do this week. Uh, coming out to practice today. Practice was closed today, so I guess we'll have to wait until Kirby's next press conference on Tuesday and and see how Tyson responded to that. But I, I'm pretty hopeful that he'll at least play. Now, he's coming back from a turf toe injury, and guys, that is a, a notoriously difficult injury to come back from. You have a relapse of that. Who knows? And he's he, has, he hasn't played in a while. So there's going to be a rust factor there. There's no doubt. No, he had a bye week to kind of get back in the swing of things, but he has not played in, in quite a while. And Florida has some good receivers. Now, if it's the 100% version of Tyson Campbell where there's no rust issues at all, yeah, I would I, I would agree with you, Dalton, that I would feel pretty confident in our secondary to be able to at least hold the, the Florida passing game in check. But I just don't know what version of Tyson Campbell we're going to get right now. Is he even going to start? Is he, is he? Do our coaches feel comfortable with him right now from a, from a health standpoint, uh, from a rust standpoint? Do they think a 80% Tyson Campbell that's been out of the game for a couple of weeks now is better than 100% DJ Daniel? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I know 100% Tyson Campbell is our best option out there, but are we getting that version of him? If we are, yes, I agree with you that I feel a lot better about our ability to keep their, the Florida passing game, uh, I don't say under wraps, but in check, like you said, it's a good way to put this. Now, if we win this weekend, the second part of your question, if we win this weekend, absolutely it's going to propel us moving forward. There's no doubt. Like This is the, the game we have to have. Like, I know if we lose any other games the rest of the way, the likelihood of us ending up in the Plotchwell playoff is essentially zero. I can't say it's, well, it's like 0.0001%. I never like to say never. I don't like to speak in absolutes, but it'd be very difficult. You don't know what, you don't know what else is going to happen around the rest of the nation, but it would be very, very difficult. But let's say we beat Florida and we lose to Auburn or Missouri or AM, one of those other SEC games. As long as we beat Florida and we only lose one more of those games, we'll still end up in Atlanta. Now, I know that we don't have a chance, probably wouldn't have a chance in the college football playoff, but we still have a chance to be SEC champions and have another good season under our belt. 
But if we lose to Florida, it's essentially over. We have no chance. And if you look back to last year, I think you can look at last year as kind of like a model, an example of what could what could happen this year. We had that horrible game against LSU. Then you come back after the bye week, we beat Florida, and that kind of propelled us all the way, really through the through three quarters, all the way in the SEC title game, and then we kind of let it go there. So maybe it could be a, a similar situation this year. I can't predict that. I don't know, but I, I can certainly see it as a possibility. There's no doubt. All right. Alex would like to know how you would compare our defensive backs with the Florida secondary. So comparing both DB units. Okay, you know what, Alex, is a good question, man. I, I think because Florida's DBs get a lot of love, right? One of, oh, there's like four or five universities DBUs. that claim DBU, Florida, LSU, Texas apparently, which I never Texas, knew. Yeah, but Texas is getting one. scorched through the air. I got yeah. Ohio State has gotten into the argument. It's weird. There's a lot of teams that claim that. But I think Florida does have a legitimate claim to be one of those teams. I'll give them credit. I hate Florida, but I'll give them credit there. They've had a lot of good DBs over the year, over the years. But So they get a lot of love. But I think our guys, especially, I'll say Eric Stokes. I think Eric Stokes is as good as any player they have in their secondary. I really believe that. His ball skills are extraordinary. He's very athletic. Maybe not quite as tall and long and big, but he's a really good cornerback, showing great instincts out there since getting inserted in the starting lineup last year. And I'm really high on Eric Stokes. I think he just continues to get better and better and better. So I think he's as good as anyone that they have. Yes, including C.J. Henderson, who's really good in his own right for Florida, but I like our guy. Now, the other side is where the question comes in. I think DJ Daniel, since having to kind of be inserted in the starting lineup with Campbell's injury, I think he's held up well on this other side opposite of Stokes. But I am I will say I'm not sure he has been as good as what Florida throws out there. Now, Quincy Wilson's the guy, or Mar- I'm sorry, Marco Wilson's the guy that's normally over there with Florida. He's had some injury issues, so he hasn't always been out there. But when he's healthy, he and, and CJ Henderson make quite a duo out there. Now, when Tyson Campbell's healthy, I, I think we match up really well with what Florida has in secondary, at least at the cornerback position. Now, I will say at star, that, and Curtis and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week on the recap show, we haven't been consistently great at star. We've had good moments. Like, you know, against Notre Dame, I really thought that our man, Devon Wilson, had a really good game there. But it's been up and down. He got beat on the double move against South Carolina. That was the, the touchdown, I guess, well, it was the, the one touchdown that cost us the game. If that doesn't happen, we don't go to overtime, we win the football game. But I will say, if you look at Florida's situation at that same position, Trey Dean has moved inside to play star almost exclusively for them. And he's a liability in coverage for them. He really is. I don't think Trey Dean is all that good. There's a reason that we didn't take his commitment. Like, he wanted to commit here, guys. He did. And we didn't take it. He's a good player. He is. He's solid. But I will, I will say that. He, he's a solid player. I don't know if he's that good. He's solid. He's solid enough. But he is a guy that is a liability in coverage for them at times. And a guy that I think we have a chance to exploit in the passing game if we can just try to scheme up some matchups that will, that will give us an advantage there. And at the safety position, I actually, I really like our safeties over there. They've had some injuries in that position uh, for the past couple games. It's been Sean Davis and Brad Stewart. And I really like our guys over them. I think our guys are more athletic. I think they cover better. I think they're more consistent in tackling. Yes, even Richard LeCount, who I know has had some issues there, but I think he's improved. So yeah, I, I think if you look at it in totality, we match up pretty well. I know Florida's corners get a lot of love there, but our secondary has been really good as well. So I'm going to throw our guys a little love. And before we move on to our next question, I do want to remind you guys about mybookie.ag. We are entering the stretch run here in the college football season, and our dogs are favored by three and a half in Jacksonville. That number has been coming down steadily over the past couple of weeks. So if you're feeling lucky, if you're feeling confident in our dogs, go to mybookie.ag and show everyone just how confident you are. But it's not just spreads. My bookie has 
totals, quarters, halves, or periods on the ice. They got player props, including points, yards, or goals. They got PGA, NASCAR, soccer, so much more than just college football. And now is the best time to get in on the action. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up, and use the promo code OVERTIME, and they're going to completely match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME, and new users get their first deposit doubled. Mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right. Witt asks, how do you think our defense will fare against Kyle, Kyle Trask and the Florida receivers? Witt feels we've been tested against some good wide receivers like Claypool from Notre Dame and Edwards from South Carolina, but have we seen a receiving group with as much speed as the Florida receivers? I think you're on to something there, Witt. They, we have faced some good receivers. Edwards, you know, he had the big double move touchdown, but other than that, we held him relatively in check in that game. I know that's kind of hollow because they're in that was a huge play in that game. Chase Claypool, I thought we really handled well, uh, especially considering Tyreek McGee was in the game most of the time, most of that game at cornerback, and uh, that was a matchup for whatever reason they just didn't try to take advantage of until late in the fourth quarter when really the game was was too far gone for them. But yeah, I do think this is the fastest wide receiver group as a whole that we've played. They have a bunch of guys that have good speed. They have a lot of versatility in that position, a lot of options. So that is a concern for me. I, I have concerns for us defensively, defending their guys coming out of the slot, slot and tight end, because that's where they've done a lot of damage lately. In particular, there's two guys, Kyle Pitts at tight end and Freddie Swain in that slot position. He's their big play wide receiver. They have a bunch of guys that can make plays, whether it's Trayvon Grimes, whether it's Kadarius Tony's coming back. He's been gone for a couple of weeks, Van Jefferson. But I really think that Swain has been the big play threat for them and it's happening out of the slot. They're getting the favorable matchups. Again, Mullen is really, he's a really good offensive coach. He, he can scheme up these matchups. He tries to take advantage of those. So that is where I do have some concern, not only because they're that good at those positions, but that's where we've been a little bit vulnerable in our passing defense is defending the slot, whether it's a linebacker or the star position. We've had some issues there. I think we're good enough at cornerback to handle their outside guys, but if there is some concern I have, it's right there in the slot. We're going to have to figure out something there to, I don't want to say mask those deficiencies. I don't know. Deficiencies might be a little bit of a strong word, but we're going to have to have a plan there because that's where they're, they know that's what they've been doing really well. And they know that we've struggled with that at times this year. So they're going to try to attack us there and see what we can do. All right. Christopher asks, the Florida game has served as a breakout performance for one of our wide receivers every year, Holloman last year and Wims the year before. If the trend continues, which of our wide receivers do you think will have a breakout game and why? This one's hard to say um, because our wide receivers have been so up and down at times this year, or most of the year, I guess I would say. Lawrence Cager, that's not, I can't say that, Charlie, can I? Lawrence Cager, he's, mm. when he's been in the game, he's been our go-to guy, yes. right? So I can't, I, I can't, th- I gotta throw him out. I can't choose him. George Pickens has already made a name for himself. He's our leading receiver right now. So I'm gonna go with somebody off the radar here. You know what? I'm gonna go with a guy, another true fresh. I'm gonna go with Dominic Blaylock. He's playing more and more. He hasn't seen a ton of opportunities in the passing game lately, but we didn't really hardly throw the ball. I guess we threw the ball 12 times against South Carolina or against Kentucky in our last game. But he's a guy, again, talking about where I think we can match up with them. I think we can get guys, some of our skill players, match up on their linebackers and trading at star. And that is something that we can exploit if we're willing to do it. And I think Dominic Blaylock is a guy that can do that. He can go out there, run some of those option routes. You work him across the middle, and he can be a, a matchup problem for Florida with their linebackers in the star position. 
I would say D Rob, but Charlie, like he's already broken out. Like everybody knows D Rob. Like that's not a breakout, right? Yeah, he doesn't qualify for this. All question. right, so I'm gonna throw D Rob out, throw Cager out, and I'll say Dom Blaylock. Yeah. All right. Jamie asks, "How do you see our offensive line matching up with the Florida defensive line?" Really well, and this is a, this is a, a position against most teams. Florida, and I don't want to say their entire defensive line because I don't think they're that good on the interior defensive line. It's their pass rushers, their edge players that are really, really good. And this is a, an advantage for Florida in most games. But if you look at it statistically, it, it, it shouldn't be an advantage in this game. It's going to be a strength on strength. They are ninth nationally in sack rate and they're first in the SEC in sacks. And they're second in the country in tackles for loss. But we are first in the SEC in both sacks allowed and tackles for loss allowed and by pretty wide margins in both those categories. So this is a case of strength on strength. We'll see who's who's got the better unit. Does Florida have the better pass rushers or do we have the better offensive line? And, and Curtis and I, we talk about this sometimes and and I know there's been some concerns about offensive line allowing a little too much pressure on Jake Fromm and, and there's been some of that, but still I think that's because our expectations were so high that when we see any pressure on Jake or any sacks, it's like, oh my God, what just happened? That should never happen. Guys, we've only given up four sacks in the year. Only given up four sacks this year. I think the next closest team is Auburn. They've given up nine. So we've been really, really good. I know they kind of stand out when when we do give a sack or we give a little bit of pressure because we just think, oh my God, that should never happen. Offensive line is supposed to be that good. And offensive line has been really, really good. So I think it's gonna be a good matchup. They'll probably win a couple and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna win a couple as well. So let's just hope we win more than we lose in that matchup. All right. Trevor wants to know the update on Lawrence Cager ahead of the Florida game and how big of an impact you think the Luke Ford transfer has had on the Georgia offense in twenty nineteen. Okay, so Cager, this and Curtis and I talked about this a little bit on the recap show earlier in the week. I've heard so many different things on Lawrence Cager. I, I, there's been a rumor going around, making the rounds, that he might not be back until Texas A&M. I don't know where that came from, where they got started. I've not heard that from anybody that I would deem a credible source, anyone that I know kind of around the program here in Athens. I haven't heard that from anyone with any sort of credibility. But you hear it kind of mentioned around. So, you know, you start to hear these things, all of a sudden it just becomes true, right? Well, maybe not so much because in his Monday press conference, Kirby came out and said that Lawrence Cager practiced some last week, which was news to me. I had not heard that, but no one's really paying attention during the bye week. So he practiced some last week. At least that's the word coming from the head man himself, coming from Kirby Smart. He ran some routes on Thursday. That's not a full-on practice, but he was out there doing something. He was running routes, and Kirby seemed optimistic. I think the word he used was hopefully. They're very or they're very hopeful that they will that we will have him back this week, and and that would be huge, guys. If we could get Lawrence Cager back. That is massive. I mean, that is a big piece of our passing offense. One of the issues that we've had is not having a guy who who had kind of emerged as our go-to receiver, our go-to option for Jake Fromm, the most veteran and experienced receiver out there for us. So it would be massive for us to get him back. I hope that's the case. I'm still kind of I'm hesitant to, want to buy into that because he's coming back from a separated left shoulder in the ribs. And I don't know exactly what's wrong with his ribs. I imagine some sort of, of bruising, some sore ribs. And there are varying degrees of injury there. So, and, and, but I think that's more of like a pain tolerance thing. Like, can you, how how well can you deal with that? I have to, I have to believe he'll, he'll be willing to grit that out. It's the separated shoulder that concerns me because he's kind of like 
re-aggravated that a couple of, you know a couple of different times this year in, in different games had to come out of the game and I think it was just finally too much for him after or in that uh, in the first half of that South Carolina game so that's what concerns me but if he can come back and be healthy and play the whole game and be 100% and not be limited at all that's huge for us there's no doubt there now Luke Ford that's an interesting question I haven't heard that name in a little while here only time you hear Luke Ford now is people getting angry about him not being able to get immediate eligibility after guys like Justin Fields for whatever reason get their immediate eligibility but, uh, you know, I don't know how much of an impact it would have on our offense this year. Because I think Charlie Warner, regardless, was going to be the guy at tight end, for better or for worse. I think he was going to be our starter there and play the majority of the snaps. And I, I think bringing in Eli Wolf, he's playing the role that I kind of foresaw for Luke Ford this year. And I think Eli Wolf has done a good job in that role. So I don't think we're missing him as much this year. I think where we're going to miss him is next year and beyond, especially next year. He, and who knows? He might have been only a three-year guy, goes pro. Who knows? But... We don't have a ton of depth of tight end right now, uh, as it is. And then you're going to lose Charlie Warner and Eli Wolf after after this season. So that's where I think it's going to show up is in 2020. Not so much 2019. It'd be nice to have him be a nice depth piece. But I don't think we're missing him as much this year as we will next year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. To wrap up the show today, we have a few recruiting questions, the first of which is from Thomas asking about some big recruiting news that broke last week. He asks, how big of a loss was Eric Gilbert since he chose to commit to LSU? That's, it's, I'll say this. It's tough to say, I I get it, guys. It's tough to say that, hey, I'm not sweating it, when a top 10 player nationally from your own backyard goes elsewhere, a guy that you recruited really hard. But, I'm really not sweating it all that much. And I know that sounds crazy because how can we be okay with losing a guy like Eric Gilbert, a guy of his talent? And guys, Eric Gilbert is really athletic. He's a really gifted player. But the word for a while has been that he wants to play wide receiver in college, that he has his mind set on that. And guys, if you're not familiar with Eric Gilbert, he's 6'5", 250 pounds right now as a senior in high school, 6'5", 250. That is not a wide receiver. You are a tight end, sir. Okay, I know you want to play wide receiver. That's, those guys get more attention. You make more money in the NFL wide receiver. I get all that. You look at the contracts. I understand that. But you are not a wide receiver. Now, he at Marietta in high school, as a senior in high school, he essentially plays wide receiver. I don't think he's played like a snap in line all year. At least when I've seen him play, I haven't seen him every game. But when I've seen the guy play, he doesn't play in line very much at all. or He doesn't play it very much, if any, at all. He plays out there. He is basically playing receiver for Marietta. But you can get away with that at the high school level, even the highest classification in a really good high school football state, because you're just that much bigger, faster, and stronger, more athletic than everyone else against you that you're going against. At the college level, you're not going to have the speed advantage at 6'5", 250 that's going to take to go up against SEC caliber cornerbacks. You're just not. What you're going to have, though, is going to be a major mismatch against tight ends and safeties, even some of those star defenders as well, some of those slot defenders. That's where you're going to make your money, and that's where you're going to make a living. But I don't think that he wants to do that. We were recruiting him almost exclusively, uh, from my understanding, as a tight end, and we weren't like, kind of playing into the, to the receiver stuff, whereas LSU and Tennessee for a while I was kind of talking to him about that, was maybe more open to that possibility. So I think long-term, no matter what he thinks he is, he's going to end up at, at tight end. 
Maybe LSU just told me at least give him a shot at wide receiver. So if, if he doesn't come, if he didn't want to come in here thinking I'm gonna play tight end, then I'm okay with that because there's other big time targets in that position. I think are actually more true tight ends, and we tight ends a major need for us. So honestly, for me, as long as we end up with one of either Darnell Washington from Vegas or Theo Johnson from Canada, one of those two tight ends, I'm totally okay with not getting Eric Gilbert. It'd be nice to have him. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't want Eric Gilbert. I'd love to have the guy on the team, but I'm not freaking out over losing him because I'm not sure he's buying into playing tight end right now. And again, as long as we land one of Darnell Washington or Theo Johnson, I think those guys are very, very comparable to what Eric Gilbert brings to the table, if not more actual, like natural tight end, especially Darnell Washington. So I'm, I'm okay with it. All right. Last question of the show. Jamil asks, what is the most important position for us to fill in this 2020 class and who do we need to close with? So the biggest positional needs in this 2020 class, I love the recruiting questions, by the way. I know when we get in the season, it's all like all football mode all the time. We're not talking about recruiting. It's more of an off-season topic, but hey, the early signing period is going to be here before we know it. It's a little over a month. So uh, got to talk about recruiting a little bit. You know, there's two positions I'm looking at right now that we have, and we've gotten one of them settled, and that's quarterback. Uh, we've got Carson Beck from Florida, from Mandarin High School. That's set, but we had to have a quarterback. We don't know what Jake's going to do. Jake might come back next year. That, that would be incredible, like the best news maybe ever. But we can't guarantee that. He might go pro. There's just no way to tell. So if, if Jake goes pro next year, if we didn't bring in a high-level quarterback, we got Dewan Mathis, who might, might not be able to play again. We don't know. God, I mean, God bless the man. I, I hope to God he's going to be able to play next year. And then Stetson Bennett. And then maybe you hit the grad transfer market. Who knows what you get there? I mean, that's... That's a crapshoot. So we had to have a high-level quarterback. I think Carson Beck is that guy. I know he's been up and down his senior year, but he had a really good game this past week, and he's kind of getting things straightened out. He had a lot of new young guys around him. And then the other position we just talked about is tight end. We're losing our top two tight ends, guys, and what do we have behind them? Brett Scyther and what else? I mean, you've got Fitzpatrick, who hasn't really played he played played much at all this year. I think he's going to be a good player. He just needs to continue to get some seasoning, to hit the weight room, to gain some weight, a little mass on his body. We need some tight ends and we need them badly. So I think we've got we've got to get one or both of Darnell Washington and Theo Johnson. It'd be great to get both, but I always take one at this point and then we'll find another guy as a depth piece. So those two positions for me are the ones that we are most in need of landing some big time guys. We've got quarterback, we need to close out the tight end position. And who do we need to close with? There's a couple guys here that are at the top of my wish list. Noah Sewell, the linebacker from Utah, his brother's offensive lineman, left tackle for Oregon right now. He's a guy I've been talking about for a long time. He is as good of an inside linebacker prospect as I've seen in a long time, guys. He is 260 pounds, and he plays running back for his team. He actually, and he, he's got legit speed. He moves really well laterally. His short shuttle's off the charts for a guy that size. I mean, he is a home run as an inside linebacker. I would kill, not literally, but figuratively, obviously, to have a guy of that caliber demand the middle along with maybe a guy like N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker moving forward. He'd be a huge addition for our team. Mentioned Darnell Washington at tight end. That's another one. Jordan Birch out of South Carolina as a defensive end, pass rush type guy. Uh, he's been ranked you know, from, from different services at different points as the number one player in the country for a while. So he's a big-time guy. And then Zach Evans, there's been some issues off the field and some question marks there, and he's been kind of wish-washy on who leads now, who leads then. But Zach Evans is a high-level running back that we're still very much in it for, and I would love to land him to go along with Kendall Milton in our backfield. So that's what I'm looking at. All right, that's it for today. That's it? That's it. All right, guys, another successful mailbag. You guys never let us down. You always send in a ton of great questions. So hopefully we did a decent job of trying to answer what you guys sent in. 
But thanks for listening. Curtis and I will be back later this week with the official Florida game preview. And then Charlie and I will wrap up the week with another guest host with our Week 10 Picks of the Week. It was a rough week for us this week, but we're going to try to bounce back in Week 10. So thanks for listening, guys. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, Go Dogs. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.